0: One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke, but Luke continued the story in a second volume called the Book of Acts. and It is all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem then move out to Judea and Samaria and then from there out into the nations. It is like a road map for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait wondering when this power is going to come and then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival during the early summer and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world. All these different languages and cultures colliding in the city and the disciples are together in a house which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. That was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scripture.
1: things changed. The same is true for you and I today. If the faith is going to be spread, if your friends and family that don't know Jesus are going to come to know Jesus, it will happen through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life, and us going and sharing that message of Jesus with them. So let's read this passage, take a look at it. Now, I'm going to finish reading this in just a moment, and I will have a little part for you, and we'll just... We'll just see if you remember from last week your little role and your little part to play. First service? Not so good. We'll see how we'll see how you do. Okay, let's jump into it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading, remember, from the common English Bible. That's my translation. So if you have your phone and you want to flip around to that, great. If not, that's okay. Just follow along. You'll you'll be able to, to see how it flows. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans, each one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the regions of Libya beyond, uh, bordering Cyrene, and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own language. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them, saying, they're full of new wine. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only nine in the morning. Rather, this is what's spoken through the prophet Joel. Now, I'm going to leave that part for you to go read on your own and work through as, as uh, this, this mini-sermon is given uh, by, by Peter after this. So let's take a look at this. Let's just jump into this. The Word of God for the people of God. Hey, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. All right, let's try it just one more time, and maybe we'll have it locked in for next week. The Word of God for the people of God. All right, we're, we're, we're close. Good job. All right, uh, let's ask this. The very first verse that we're looking at to hear, chapter 2, verse 1, says the Pentecost, when Pentecost Day arrived. What's the big deal about this Pentecost Day? Now, when we look back on it, we say, biblically, Pentecost is the day the Holy Spirit came, at least came in this way. Don't get confused. It's not like the Holy Spirit didn't exist up till now, but the Holy Spirit came this way upon the disciples for the purposes we're talking about. But what's a big deal, Pentecost? Now, I didn't know what that word was. I became a Christian as a teenager, right? Um, at very best, I would drive by a few churches that had this word, some type of this word in their title. You know what I'm talking about when you drive by? I didn't know what went on in those churches, so I didn't know. still didn't know what it meant. When I got to college and I was studying ministry, I learned, oh, hey, Pentecostals, those are those really lively worshipers, you know, Um they're loud and sometimes run. You know, that's what I thought. So I thought, oh, Pentecostal, Pentecost. There must be some connection. It means really like lively or uh, that kind of. But here's what here's what really the word means. The word means fiftieth. Did you know that? The word Pentecost simply means fiftieth. Fiftieth. Now you might say, well, not nearly as exciting as what I thought the word meant, right? So uh, let's get at what, what they're getting at when they say this. Um, we're going to need to do a little history. Let's start at the bottom of your, your sermon notes. Um, the law was given 50 days after Passover. That's your blank there. Now, let me tell you, uh, give you a little background. Let's do a little history. If you remember, the Hebrew people, they migrated to Egypt way back in the Old Testament. We're talking in the book of Genesis here. And this was a day when there was famine going on, but there was food in the land. Joseph was in charge, right, a Hebrew, and Joseph invited the Hebrews to come, and he fed them and cared for them, many of which was his own family. Well, the Hebrews flourished in Egypt, flourished to the point that there were so many that a couple hundred years later, Pharaoh was like, man, there's way too many Hebrews So we got to do something about this. And they slowly start turning them into kind of indentured servants and then slaves. And they got to the point where, yes, they had their own villages and their own houses. But their task every day was to work for Pharaoh. And so that's what was going on. Eventually, they cry out to God. And they say, we don't want to be slaves anymore. We don't want to be in captivity anymore. And God, if you remember, raised up Moses. And he sends Moses to speak to Pharaoh. He says, hey, tell Pharaoh, let my people go, right? You remember that phrase. And when he does that, Pharaoh says, get out of here. I'm not going to do that, right? And so God sends the plagues. You remember the plagues? Maybe back from Sunday school, we sang songs about them, you know, that kind of stuff. And they came one after another. And then finally there was the 10th plague. Do you remember the 10th plague? It was the plague of death. And so let's just take a look at it. If you want to flip real quick, Exodus uh, we'll take a look way back, in, and, um, way back in chapter 12 of Exodus. Let's just read it. 1212. 12, 12. If you have your Bible or your phone, follow along. This is God speaking. He says, I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I'll strike down, get this, every oldest child in the land of Egypt, both human and animals, I'll impose my judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. So every firstborn was going to die that night. When what we some of your translations say the angel of death or the destroyer passes over, right? And there's going to be death. You remember, that was the 10th plague. It didn't matter who you were. You could be Egyptian. You could be Hebrew. That angel of death was passing over, and the oldest was going to die. But God offered provision for his people. Take a look at it. Flip to verse 23. When the Lord comes by to strike down the Egyptians and sees, listen, the blood on the beam above the door of the two doorposts. So they're going to slaughter an innocent animal, a pure animal. They're going to sprinkle or smear the blood on the doorpost. That's what he's talking about. The Lord will, here's the word, pass over that door. He won't let the destroyer enter your house to strike you down. And so there was provision offered for the Hebrews. Hebrews. I will pass over. So because of this, every year, the Hebrews and then Israelites and then, you know, uh, later known as the Jews, same people groups, they would celebrate Passover. This is a very significant holiday, uh, as it would be to you, right? When you think about this, this releasing from captivity, this passing over and this provision was given. And so they would celebrate this day. In fact, this would come to be a day, get this, a day of salvation. That's how they would look at it. So when they were celebrating Passover, they were reminiscing about the day of salvation for the Hebrews coming out of Egypt. All right. You're like, great, Tom. That's wonderful. That doesn't explain 50 days. And you're right. What would happen, though, 50 days after Passover? Now they're going out. Remember the Red Sea story? They crossed over dry land. Pharaoh, it doesn't go so well for his men, right? They get washed away, and they get in the wilderness. And then we actually find that the God gives them a thing called law, the law. Now, sometimes we look back at the law because uh, we know the rest of the Bible, and we know how sometimes religious leaders manipulated the, the law, abused the law, even God's people did. And we look back and go, oh, law, that's bad. That's bad stuff. But you got to put yourself in this spot, 50 days after being captives, for years, many of them their whole life, it's all they knew. And now they have freedom. And then God comes and he gives them law. He gives them culture. He says, this will be my people. This is how you'll live. This is a new way of life. If you would follow me in this area, I will give you more life. Get this. Even we know in the New Testament, more life than you could dream of. That's what God was offering them. And that was 50 days later that the law was given. And so this day was celebrated as well. And it became a festival also here. Um, And there was this celebration. In fact, if you remember the old covenant that God made with Abraham, God said, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you Father Abraham. Remember that song? I'm going to make you the father of all nations. That was the beginning They would look at this 50 days after this, this 50 days after Passover. They would look at this and say, this was covenant renewed. We had this little kind of break in all this. We were slaves in Egypt. This is God's covenant renewed with us. And so they would celebrate it. In fact, they actually celebrate it with a time of harvest as well. And so new life, new fruits, that, that type of thinking here. So this became part of their custom. Now, you got to think about it from a spiritual standpoint. If you look at Passover as salvation, the releasement from captivity, you are no longer bound by your past. You're launched out into freedom, new life, right? You need to also look at the law as God saying, this is new life. Here is your new life. Live this out. If you will live in me in this way of following my ways, I have tremendous life for you. Listen, that alone might be good news for you this morning. To think about Jesus went to the cross, died and rose again, covered your past, covered your sins. That's all been dealt with and taken care of. But then here, this this symbolism here of new life is offered as well. New life is given to you. And don't mistake that salvation and new life, we sometimes separate that, right? Because we don't receive the new life and get going with it. Tell you what, I'm jumping the gun. I'll get to that in just a moment. You know what the people did? They did like we do sometimes. They found their loopholes to the system of the law. They lived any way they wanted for a year. Right. And then what did they do? Oh, we, well, it's sin sacrifice time. We got to get our sin sacrifice together. We got to go sacrifice. Why? Because we don't want our sins hanging over our head. Right. We just we want to be right with God. And the way we think we're right with God is just go slaughter the animal, spread the blood again. And we'll get God, you know, his judgment will pass over us again this year and we'll be fine. And this went on year after year after year after year. If you want to look in, just look into uh, the word, those history books of the Old Testament, and you'll kind of see this cycle. So eventually, God's kind of like this. This is my paraphrase. I've had it up to here with your sacrifices, right? Uh, no more. And here's what he says in Jeremiah. If you want to look there, Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Listen, at very least, write this down. You've got to put your own eyes on this at another time and see this so here's what jeremiah is speaking in prophecy way but speaking about a future for god's people he says this the time is coming declares the lord when i will make get this a new covenant with the people of israel and judah it won't be like the covenant i made with the ancestors when i took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of egypt we just read about that we just talked about that won't be like that covenant they broke that covenant with me, even though I was their husband, declares the Lord. No, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Listen, I will get, put my instructions within them and engrave them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So God saying, look, a day will come where I'm going to write the law. I'm gonna write my ways onto people's hearts. Onto people's hearts. This is a prophecy and a foreshadowing of, of well Jesus coming, dying on the cross, raising from the dead, but even more correctly, of Jesus coming into our lives through the Holy Spirit and living with us. It's what's being prophesied and spoke of here, a different kind of covenant. And then we find this passage we're talking about today. In In uh, uh, Acts chapter 2, it says that they saw what seemed like individual uh, flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak another language. We'll get to that part in just a minute. Here the Holy Spirit comes. When? Fifty days after Passover. The Holy Spirit comes on them, empowers them in a different way. Listen, it's very much... Like Luke is trying to help his readers who would have known the Old Testament really well know, listen, that just like Passover brought salvation, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, brought salvation. That was his first volume. The Holy Spirit comes and offers new life, new life. It's like God saying, here, you have the Holy Spirit. This is new life. Live your life now through the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. And it's more life than you could ever dream of. Listen, we probably should just stop and offer this invitation this morning. Because I believe there's probably a lot of Christians that have camped out on the idea that I was saved, my sins are gone, and they are. Never forget that truth. My my sins are gone, I'm fine, I'm wiped away. But you've never really received or you don't continually receive the new life God has to offer in the spirit. And so you go on declaring this act of Jesus, which is significant, the cornerstone, it was the hinge pinch. But the way we keep going is living in the spirit every day, surrendering before the spirit that's offered and given to us. And so can you see and you understand the significance of 50 days? That God, God's, God's no dummy. He's setting this up with the greatest punch for us to get it. And listen, believers, I've got a couple more things to share with you. But if you just need to check out and you really need to dwell on what I just said and what we just talked about, please do. Because if you walk out of here saying, I want to live a daily life in the spirit. That's victory, you know, and, and, and you don't need to hear the rest of this um, today. But I do have some more, so I'll share it with you. So I told you last week, the first act that we find when the Holy Spirit comes here, the the first act really is an explosion of evangelism. Now, don't get scared by that word evangelism. Sometimes we're like, you know, the pastor, that traveling guy that screams. That's what they do. Now, No, evangelism simply means to share the gospel, to share the gospel. So anytime that you told somebody else in your life, man, Jesus really helped me through that. Guess what you just did? You shared the gospel. Now, you might not have shared the whole story of it. You know, you might not have said Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross. You know, but you have witnessed to the name of Christ, the good news, that there is hope and victory found in Jesus, and you're testifying to that. So when you're in a situation where you're like, I I, I could I could tell them right now, I could tell them Jesus is helping me through this. Or I could tell them about a time where I overcame with Jesus, and you go, eh may not, you have denied telling somebody the good news of Christ. And those opportunities abound in our life every single week if we look for it. That's all evangelism means, right? And so there's this explosion of evangelism right away. Why? Well, I told you, listen, last week, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the empowering of the Holy Spirit where the recipient, that's the disciples in this case, you and I as well, right, today, We receive supernatural power for the expansion of the Christian faith. That's the theme here. That's what we see. The Holy Spirit comes, fills you up, empowers you supernaturally. You go like, I don't feel very supernatural. Listen, when you walk in the Holy Spirit, it's supernatural. You may not have had fire coming out of your head like, like this, right? You may not have laid your hands on somebody and, you know, they healed right up. But you spoke a word of hope. And when a, hope of, a word of hope lands and the Holy Spirit has told you to do it and you did it, su- supernatural is found. Don't deny that. And when we do that over and over and over, it's amazing how routine even supernatural becomes. It certainly is in the Bible with the disciples. So there's three things that, that we see in this passage. Let me just share one with you really quick uh, this morning. Not too quick, but let me share medium quick. Is that such a thing? Medium quick. So here the first thing is this, willingness. What's your willingness? Take a look, and this actually shows up at the end of chapter 1, all right? But I'll have it on the screen. The end of chapter 1, it it actually, what we find here is Jesus says to them in chapter 1, go stay in Jerusalem. Now, this is a big deal. They didn't live in Jerusalem. It's not like they all had houses and families in Jerusalem. So they're going to stay through the festivals is what they're going to do right so jesus is saying look just because we just had our big day right just because i went to the cross and i raised from the dead I've, I've appeared to you you know and we had this great day we're not done just hang on stay through the festivals see what happens here so verse verse 12 uh, acts chapter 1 when they returned to jerusalem from the mount of olives which is near jerusalem a sabbath days journey away so they go back to jerusalem they entered the city when they were upstairs uh, there was, and, and he lists all the people, all the disciples that were there. And they were united, verse 14, in their devotion to prayer along with some of the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Don't miss that right there, all right? The women were welcome to be a part of Jesus' ministry. We find that all the way through uh, the Gospels. The willingness. Why do we find willingness there? Well, one, Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem, and something's big is going to happen. The Holy Spirit's coming, Right? And they did it. They followed Jesus. And you may go like, well, okay, what's the big deal there? Well, let's flip it on our lives. How many times has Jesus said, hey, Tom, go do this? And I've said, "Nah, (laughs) no, I'm not going to do that. How many times has Jesus told you to do something and you didn't go do it? It's a big deal any time we would say yes to Jesus and go do it. We'll celebrate that, right? And so they were obedient. They went back. What we also find, and I shared with you last week, they went back and they kept the work going. How do we know this? Well, there was 12 disciples. You might think, hey, 12, that's a God number. Why? Well, there was 12 tribes in the Old Testament. And so when they were chosen, 12 apostles, remember, they thought, hey, we're going to be some type of rulers in the restoration of Israel. We'll be some type of a ruler, some type of connection. They saw those roles as really serious. In fact, the ministry that Jesus was currently doing all throughout Jerusalem at this time and beyond They were, like, in charge of it. They were helpers in it. It's like one guy can do everything. So these apostles had roles. So much so that they felt like, man, Judas is out. You know, we're done with him. We got to find somebody else. And you can read about that at the end of chapter 1, that another was brought in to fill the role. Which meant they went back to Jerusalem, and they were still doing the ministry. They were still doing the things that they knew to do up till that point. But Jesus said, something's about to explode. And you're going to do Way more. Way more than we've been doing. So they're willing to go back. And then it says they're united in prayer. Is that a big deal to you when you read that? Listen, I'm confident that I could blow up any large church gathering you can think of. Just think of one right now. Large concert gathering, boom, I could blow that thing up. Large youth group, yeah. Large men's event, women's event, you know, just church service. Yeah, all we'd have to do is come into the contemporary church service and say, listen, this week, all we're going to do is pray for the next hour or two hours, however long the event works. Hey, and next week, we're coming back and we'll do it again. The week after that, we'll come back and we'll do it again. And like, that's all we're going to do is we're going to focus our time in prayer. You just watch the drop off. It'll happen. Right. And we all know we all know. We've subtly kind of bought into this, like, I need to be entertained a little. I need to be attractional. There needs to be something I quote-unquote like, you know, that kind of stuff. But listen to what they were devoted to. And we find prayer was big. They were united in prayer, praying. And that's significant. It speaks to the willing heart to go before God and say, Jesus said to go do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to continue doing what I know I should do as a Christian or as a follower of Jesus here. And I'm going to pray and ask God. Keep asking of God, whatever it is they were praying and asking. That's the willing heart. The question for you this morning, do you have a willing heart? Do you have a heart that's willing before God in the same way? Second, the supernatural comes, right? It just happens right in front of them. They, they, they seem to be individual. It says flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak other languages. Um, I have never seen this happen. I've never seen fire coming out of somebody's head like this. Um, Some of your translations say tongues of fire. You know, I've never seen, uh, you know, that kind of thing as well. My I imagine you haven't. uh, This would freak any of us out. You know, I've been to some events where it just seemed like, man, the Holy Spirit just moved in a way that I have not experienced. But I never saw fire with it. So this is a big, big deal. uh, What's happening? What's going on here? But it's also a representation. It's a representation of God's presence. So don't just think about this as, oh, it's fire. Like, you know, fire emoji. I'm going to put that in there. You know, this is a symbolism of God's presence. Do you remember the covenant I talked about with Abraham in the Old Testament? This is how it happened. God calls Abraham. And if, let's put that aside. If two people were going into covenant in the Old Testament, this is how they did it. They would take an animal, let's say a ram they cut it in half, they'd put the two halves on either side, and then they would walk together through the halves. And what they are declaring when they do that is, may it be to us like this animal here if either one of us would break this covenant. So it's a big, big deal. So when we read in Genesis chapter 15 that God made covenant with Abraham, do you remember how the story went? The animal was cut, the two halves laid there, but Abraham did not go through. A pillar of fire moved through the two halves of the animal. It was God declaring covenant with his people. God's presence was there. We found the same thing on Mount Sinai with the presence, the pillar. We we see the same thing when the tabernacle uh, moved around. So we get this type of the presence of God. That's what's being declared here when the Holy Spirit comes, the presence of God, the real God is in this. That is the supernatural. They go and they start speaking other languages right away. Now, people from all over, they had already been dispersed in all er- regions of the Roman Empire. So they were back there for the festival, right, for the, two, the 50-day period or so they were there. And they started to hear their own languages being spoke by these guys who didn't know other languages. I mean, put our languages, I don't don't know what you speak here, but chances are if I rattled off ten languages, we don't have them covered in this service, right? Yet we could go out in this kind of setting, and we would speak all those ten languages, right? That's what's going on here, speaking in different languages. Now, don't get confused here. This is not like angelic language which shows up in the Bible. Biblical scholars are a little... um, In disagreement of of those angelic languages, how they work, what they actually mean. But they're not confused on this one. Uh, All are pretty much united that this is actually real languages being spoken that others could hear and understand. And it's a way that God's message is shared here. So what's the big deal? This is the supernatural. I want you to say this after. I'm going to give you a couple words. You just repeat the words after me, okay? The gospel has to be shared with words. That is the point that's being made here. That supernatural comes on them so they would go. The Holy Spirit does not come on them so they would go out and live an even more moral Christian life. I sure hope they do. I hope you and I do. The Holy Spirit comes on them in this way, and they immediately, the supernatural leads them out to speak words to other people. And I just wonder... The, the question for you is, are you sharing words when you share the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel, the good news, in words? Is there any way that you're sharing that? That's how it has to be transferred eventually. Finally, the expansion. Uh, you'll see there, I don't need to read all those the, uh, again, but but you'll see that the, the message of the gospel was shared with others. Now, there's all kinds of nationality. You could take a... a one of your maps at the back of your Bible, if you have a study Bible, and you'll see that when Luke is lining these up, he's not just grabbing ones from all over. He's actually kind of moving east to west on these. That's how he lists them, puts Jerusalem right in the center of this. So it's almost like he's saying, look, this, this hope, this gospel is going to come out of the Jewish faith, but it won't be in the law, right? The new life will be in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And it will be available for everyone now. So they heard all this and they're like, hey, what are we hearing? Well, well, it says it in verse 11. We hear them proclaim or declaring the mighty works of God in our own language. They're declaring the mighty works of God. They're saying, look here, we've seen what God's done. I, I would assume they're saying we saw the crucifixion. We see him resurrected. They're proclaiming that. They're proclaiming what God's done in their own lives as well. And listen. That's our story to tell, too, right? You share your story. You share what Christ has done, what God has done through Christ. You've done what, what he's done through your life. So the question is, what are you proclaiming? Is there something you're proclaiming? What is it you're sharing with people? Your story is pretty powerful, right? Share your story of transformation. Here's a takeaway this morning. It's simply a question. In all that we've looked at today, salvation in Christ This parallel but new life in Christ that the Holy Spirit wants to live in us and then purpose and value to share and be a part of this expansion, what would prevent you from letting today be your day of Pentecost? Today. Like, like I think sometimes we think, well, I don't have any control of this whatsoever. I just, you know, have to walk around in life, and all of a sudden, it'll hit me out of nowhere. I, it doesn't seem like that was the disciple's story. Jesus said, hey, it's available. It's coming. And they went and they were seeking this, and they were faithful, moving along, and then God impacted them in a way. Well, the Holy Spirit is given. The Holy Spirit is here. It's available to you. In fact, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit's in your life, and yet sometimes we keep the Holy Spirit dormant. It's like our winter Bermuda grass, right? It looks all brown down here. But we know in the summertime... It starts popping and going. and We can't even keep up with the mowing. What if you let the Holy Spirit be unleashed in that way in your life? What would prevent you from today? Just letting the Holy Spirit have full access again. Take some work on your part, right? Get in prayer. Get before God. Get in God's word. Reading. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament to be reading then, right? Get in God's word and read. Stay plugged in with a faithful community like this that can bless you challenge you as well. But then, like my father-in-law, who I thank you so much for your support, we, we, uh, we laid him to rest last Saturday, a wonderful ceremony. It's amazing. But like he would say, if you want to grow in your Christian walk, it's simple. Say yes to God more. Say yes to God more. And we grow to a deeper place. And the Holy Spirit works so let me pray for you in this area. And it may be that you're like, I'm not interested in your prayer, Tom. I know exactly what I need to be praying with God right now. God already spoke to my heart in the last few minutes. Go for it. You pray that way, and that'll be fine. Let's pray. Father, I believe that even if it's just one person, I know there's somebody in here, Lord, that would say, that's it. I know. I just kind of rest on some past thing, and I say, you know, Jesus died for me, and I'm wonderful. But I I haven't moved forward with my faith. I haven't moved forward receiving what the Holy Spirit has to offer every day of my life. And I need to do that starting right now. I need to wake up every morning saying, Lord, forgive me if there be any way in me, any way that I need to see forgiveness. Reveal it to me if I don't know it. And then Holy Spirit, empower me today. I'm willing. I'm willing to be used by you in any way. That's a prayer you could say every single morning start your day father if there's somebody that's praying something like that right now to you oh Lord would you receive it would you just empower that prayer would you manifest yourself in that prayer would there be a real connection uh, with that person right now father for some that need to go away and just process on this may they do that you know and not not get distracted by the things that would kind of squash this down in their life. Father, I believe when the Holy Spirit is given full access, Father, we'll, we'll confess what we need to confess, those wrongs. Lord, we'll, we'll make relationships right that are wrong, and we will get on board fast with the things that you are on board with, Lord. I pray you would lead each of us at Wendover Hills in that area. We pray in your son's name.